Welcome to How Do You EQ, the podcast where you will learn about EQRX's perspective on developing a company culture of creating change and dreaming big. Now let's hear from the team of disruptors, warriors, champions, and dreamers at EQRX. Hello, listeners, and welcome to How Do You EQ? I'm excited to welcome back our return listeners. And for those of you checking us out for the first time, How Do You EQ is a podcast where industry disruptors and change makers share their experiences about building, growing, and cultivating really innovative companies that start with the people first approach. I'm your host, Sue Hager. I'm Chief Communications Officer here at EQRX. And over the course of this podcast, we'll be talking with people who are really thoughtful culture builders, and we'll gain some important perspectives from big thinkers in the world of work. And specifically for EQRX, we believe our people-first approach will deliver really tangible benefits for people across the globe who need access to affordable and high-quality medicines. I am so excited to introduce our guest for this episode, and it's Edie Stringfellow. Edie is the Director of Diversity and Inclusion for MassBio. And for those of you listening who might not be familiar with MassBio, they're a Massachusetts-based organization that supports and represents um, its life sciences member organizations, of which EQRX is one. So there, Edie is responsible for driving strategy and managing the day-to-day implementation of MassBio's ongoing initiative to improve diversity and inclusion throughout the life sciences industry. So in EQRX parlance, if you've been following along with us over time, Edie is a warrior. She is a person who is ready to fight for equality, and she knows what it takes to get the job done. Daunting a task as that may be, she never strays from her mission. Uh, Edie is an invaluable resource within the life sciences community all across New England and even on a national stage for all who share the goal of advancing an inclusive workplace environment. I know our listeners uh, will walk away from this podcast uh, probably with some actionable insights that they might be able to employ in their own organizations, even beyond the life sciences community, right? This is really applicable to organizations of all stripes. So before we get started, Edie, um, I was wondering, would you mind sharing your personal story with us about how you got involved in life sciences? Um, sure. There's this opportunity that my boss, uh, Bob Coughlin and, and Kendall O'Connell presented to me. They had this role and I thought that I was perfect for it because I wanted to do just bring everything together, my whole entire background. How do I fight for families? How do I fight for people that work for families? And how do we go about doing this? Again, I'm just trying to figure it out all along the way. And then what I've been doing is diversity and inclusion, making sure everyone feels included, feels welcomed, are are appreciated for their contributions, and making sure that they have opportunities to have access to learn and to grow, because that's how I was able to do it. I had a lot of supporters along the way that encouraged my nourishment of always evolving, always educating myself, always professional development. So I thought it was a perfect role, but I also want to make sure it was an organization that truly believed in what they were saying. And they truly was doing what they were saying they were doing. And that was extremely important to me. And that's how I became a part of MassBio. So I'm very fortunate to work with you and 13, uh, 1,300 uh, other organizations that 
are compelled to fight for patients every day, come up with therapies, diagnostics, everything that can somehow improve the quality of life for billions around the world. I'm very fortunate to what I do, the industry that I work in, and be able to put on everyone's radar that the way that we're going to get more therapies to market is when we have more ideas. Mm -hmm. And from more ideas come different perspectives, different views, different experiences, different educational backgrounds, different social economic backgrounds, uh, different genders, orientation, race, religion, ethnicity. That's how we're going to drive innovation. And that's how we're going to get more medical solutions to the patient community faster. Well, Edie, I have to agree with Bob. I think you are perfect for this role. And so I'd wonder um, if we could just start with you providing us with your assessment. Like, where does the life sciences industry stand today um, in terms of equality, diversity, and inclusion? Well, just looking at the numbers, not good. There you go. <laughs> the reason I say that, let's just jump right That's into That's the headline. It, yeah. Is because of there's good with this story. There is optimism, but let's also be honest at the same time, that we need to be more reflective of the patient population and decision-making and funding roles. And Mm -hmm. right now we're not. Uh, If you take a look at the makeup of Black Americans, uh, Latinos, Hispanics, Native Americans, in this country, it's about 35 to 40%, but we're about 15% representation of the biotech workforce mm-hmm. and then maybe about uh totally added up about six to seven percent of chief executive roles mm-hmm. as well as board of director roles so the patient's voice is missing from people that are reflective of it we have underrepresentation of people that can provide very valuable market insight from those communities but they're being shut out until we get to the point where we can share power and empower, we're, we're going to struggle. Mm-hmm. Right, now, right now, due to current events and what's taking place in our society, the civil unrest, police brutality, uh, the exposure of the fault lines and the horrible impact of a broken healthcare system, and then almost at the point where I don't want to say it's broken, it's, it, it was designed to do what it was supposed to do. It wasn't set up to take care of people from marginalized and under-resourced communities. It was set up to take care of those who had access and opportunity. Mm-hmm. So if we truly say that we're here for the patient population and the patient community, then we have to change how we've been doing business. And equity, diversity, and inclusion, when people think about that, they tend to think it mostly applies to just the workforce. Mm-hmm. And it does. You have to have people at every different level and stage for them to be considered. Because mm-hmm. when you hinder careers, you're hindering science. And that's what it boils down to. So h- how do we address it as an industry? Acknowledge the racism and the s- systemic inequities that have taken place in our corporations and in our workplaces that got us to this point. The fact that people are very comfortable with only working with people that look like them, that come from the same schools, same backgrounds, the same towns, uh, played on the same sports. Mm-hmm. So to me, uh, we like to say that we have talent wars. I honestly think that we have clone wars. And until <laughs> we acknowledge the issues that we have in our industry, again, it's going to be a struggle. But I really think this time around, I've never seen 
so many more CEOs and C-suite executives activated and ready to jump in, are looking to um, reprogram themselves, open up their networks, uh, listen and work more closely with people from diverse backgrounds within their organizations and have these conversations at their dinner table. Because remember, ED&I doesn't start when you get to work and it's only from nine to five. And I think people are seriously waking up to the history of how we got here. This did not happen overnight. We can talk about the Flexner Report. We can talk about um, several of the laws and policies that prevented people from buying homes, mm -hmm. from going to medical schools, to doing research. And from there, we weren't able to pass down generational wealth. And we're actually seeing people wake up and realizing that it hasn't been equitable. Each and every one of us have problems and issues and trials and tribulations, mm -hmm. but my skin color and my gender has made it that much harder for me to excel in the workplace. But we still have to figure out a way to get to where we need to go. And we need to do it together. Yeah. And I think just to pick up on that point, I think MassBio has done a really great job helping its member companies take a proactive approach um, to addressing this head on. Um, and you know, one, one that comes to mind is uh, one that EQRX just signed on to, which was the mass bio CEO commitment. And, you know, you just mentioned what CEOs and COOs can do. So uh, could you talk a little bit about um, that effort and some of the other efforts mass bio has put together to help the life sciences industry tackle ED&I head on? Because like I said at the beginning, whether or not you're listening to this and your company is in life sciences or not, it doesn't really matter. Um, the approach that I think your organization is putting forth is a smart one and it's one that's scalable. Uh, so there's something for our listeners to learn from you here, no matter what industry they're in. Yes, when we originally started out with our equity, diversity and inclusion initiative, it focused on six pillars. And those six pillars were recruitment, retention, professional development, inclusive culture, measurement accountability, and sustainability. Mm -hmm. And most of the problems we saw, the various obstacles were in those. Recruitment, what are you looking at as regards to sourcing new talent or lateral talent? Are you just going to what I call the mass AF bias or mass AF syndrome, where you're just going to MIT, Harvard, mm -hmm. MBU? And again, we're grateful to be within the resources that we have within a two mile radius of some great schools, but it's mm -hmm. also a lot of great talent out there too, that's doing other things. And when you're dealing with COVID-19 and 7,000 rare diseases, we need as many tools, resources, warriors, fighters in this together. We cannot be selective. We cannot be exclusive. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to make sure that we came up with a plan to address those and also put together tools and resources to assist our members to align with what they're trying to accomplish in their organizations. And then also, if you were small, mid-sized, or a new founder, that we give you the tools to start out as an ethos and have the right functionality embedded and moving forward with developing your organization, whereas with some of the older, larger companies, it's a lot of dismantling of mm -hmm. racism, uh, sexism, ableism, and ageism that, that has to be torn down right now. 
So we have to reprogram ourselves, focus on those six pillars, but we also have to take a look at psychological safety. When our people come to work, can you truly bring yourself to work? Can you actually contribute at, at, at this optimal level? Or do you feel as if you can't speak up, you'll be ridiculed or humiliated? Do you feel as if you can't offer contributions where you think you can, because again, you feel you won't be taken seriously? And then also, if we were to challenge the status quo, we put our name, reputation, and possibly our jobs on the line. Mm -hmm. So we have to take a look at those six pillars, what type of psychological safety we have within our organizations, and how do we go about doing that? Um, we first start out by educating ourselves about the companies, the organizations, their hiring practices, taking a look at their diversity dashboards and their scorecards, seeing where people are from diverse backgrounds and where they are within those organizations, taking a look at um, structure, taking a look at pay audits. So several things that we can look to benchmark and gauge where a company has started. And then we build scorecards to track over time. And that is education. And from there, we diagnose what the problems are. What are your barriers and obstacles that fall within those six pillars? So once we educate, diagnose, then we have to design a plan. We put our plan into action. And the last, the last phase and stage is that we scale. That's how we scale. And that's how we become stronger as a company. And we become stronger as an industry. That That's really awesome to hear. I know uh, it takes a lot of commitment from an organization, from the top down, bottom up, right, to put some of these practices that you just mentioned in place. And uh, I wonder, you know, at, at EQRX, this is something that we, that the whole EDI initiative is something that's just woven into the fabric of our culture. Um, and, you know, we like to say BU at EQ is one of our recruiting taglines because we truly believe in diversity of thought and that diversity of thought. And if people can just be themselves here, then they'll bring great ideas and those great ideas help us succeed as a team and as an organization for the benefit of patients. How hard is it for companies to go back and, and retrofit this into the fabric of their culture? It's been hard. It's been a struggle, but we it, it took us 400 years to get to this point. Mm. And we don't expect change overnight. We don't want our members to experience DNI fatigue. We don't want them to feel overwhelmed by trying to do so much at once. So that's the reason we did expand our initiative to build in other aspects. We very much in tune to what happened mm. with the healthcare disparities that were caused by systemic equities in our society. And who are we to say that we are a leading industry working on some of the most complicated problems in the world health-wise, and we can do more to support people from marginalized and under-resourced communities. So we expanded our EDI initiative to include also supporting community-based organizations. Hmm. And the value proposition for doing that was making sure that we're planting a seed early on about STEM and going into the communities, talking about what the things we do. A lot of students are not familiar with biotech, biopharma, pharma, life sciences. So we want to talk about the opportunities that are there and then also talk about future roles. We need to talk about 
uh, computational chemistry. We need mm -hmm. to talk about data informatics. Second way is we're going to add more healthcare education mm -hmm. through our opportunities and building and supporting a community-based organizations. And third, something that's extremely important in our industry, as you know, is diversifying clinical trials. Mm -hmm. And we need to build a relationship with these communities. Uh, there's a lot of distrust, which was well earned by the medical community. I don't need to go into details there, but there's also the lack of access and resource. There is, there's not a lot of information about clinical trials that people have access to. Mm -hmm. Many people would sign up for clinical trials if they were aware of them. So we want to take on a responsibility and support those that have boots on the ground already in the communities. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. We just need to support who's there and have them uh, support us as we build our relationships. We're there for them. They're there for us. And we're going to make those communities stronger and provide more avenues for students to learn more about what we do. Yeah. Um, after community-based organizations, we also extended, what are we going to do in regards to supplier diversity? How mm -hmm. are we supporting the people? Where are we spending our dollars? How are we spending our dollars? What percentage of our budgets have gone to supporting minority-owned businesses? And then also we're looking at the pipelines. Are we going to just again, just the top schools because they're right in front of us and they think that that's the best of the best. But again, I can go into a whole different episode about why, you know, some of the tests that you have to take to get into some of these schools sure. are socioeconomic tests. You know, a lot of students don't have the resources, the money, the time to spend to have private tutors and have a team and a network just so you can do well on an ACT and an SAT test. And those are usually your entry points into the highest ranked schools. So we have to take a look at what are yeah. we doing right. in regards to uh, addressing these socioeconomic tests and barriers to getting into schools. And then are we supporting other schools? Are we supporting historically black colleges and universities? Mm -hmm. Are we supporting the tribal colleges and universities? Are we supporting the Hispanic serving institutions? Mm -hmm. So we can't just say that we're going to do EDNI just within our organizations. We have to support the communities that we touch and that we serve. And all of this starts from executive culture. That is the first and foremost area that we mm -hmm. have to address. We have to make sure that the C-suite executives and the board of directors realize that through their networks, half the time people of diverse backgrounds aren't being considered. So we're asking through our CEO pledge to racial equity is to open up those networks. Mm -hmm. When you're asked to participate in a roundtable discussion, uh, a think tank, mm -hmm. and a panel discussion, that you stand up and said, I'm going to bring someone from a diverse background who is either VP or senior VP, but not yet in the C-suite, because they need access and exposure. Mm -hmm. We need for you to listen to your... Um, employees and work with them from diverse backgrounds. We need for you to incorporate sponsorship programs and succession planning with specific intentional implementation of being more equitable mm -hmm. and being with the goal of more, more reflection of the patient population. So these are some of the things that we've um, embedded in our expanded initiative. And these are some of the things that we asked our CEOs to pledge to in regards to racial equity. Mm -hmm. And if it's not personal, if it's not urgent, if it's not relevant, if you chose to ignore the data, but none of this around you is, is taking place and affecting you, mm -hmm. then we have to make it financial. We need to tie our ED&I initiative success to our 
compensation and bonuses at the C-suite and executive level. So we're supplying tools, resources, networks, benchmarks. We don't want people to experience DNI fatigue mm-hmm. or uh, feel overwhelmed or it's just not can't be accomplished. So we want to make sure everyone's pacing themselves. Let's start out with their strengths and how do we address the bigger obstacles long term? But we can get there. That's super helpful. Um, you know, I think your answer was actually a perfect segue to my next question. And uh, two of our favorite words at EQRX are quality and equal for equal access. That's part of what the EQ is all about. And, you know, over the last couple of years, the whole DNI effort has really been expanded to include equality in the definition of what corporations and organizations are striving to achieve. So I wonder if you could just talk for a minute about the distinction between DNI and EDNI and why equality and equity is so important. Yes, as if we can break it down, you have E-D-I-E. It just so happens that it spells my name. So let's take a look at the differences. That worked between- out really well. <laughs> it did. I tell people my name used to be Mary, but to really support the cause, I changed my name to Edie. <laughs> it's actually Edie. You take a look at equality. Equality assumes that we all start off with the same level field. You and I came from the same background. You and I went to the same schools. Mm-hmm. You and I have the same number of years of experience and that you and I are accelerating and growing at the same rate. That is not happening, but that's what equality implies. Mm-hmm. Diversity is, is just that, it's the sheer numbers. What's the percentage of people that work for your company from different backgrounds or different representations? Inclusion and comes with your policies. Do people feel welcome? Are they supported? Are they engaged? Do you have a work-life balance? And then we also have to make sure we're addressing stereotypes. Uh, Do you think that a person is not capable of incapable of doing something because of your own biases? Mm -hmm. So we have to look at our inclusive cultures and how we're supporting inclusive cultures. And then we have to look at what is equity. Equity means that's where our sponsorship programs come into place. Our succession planning comes into place. Also, are we doing pay audits? Are we doing our diversity audits? Mm -hmm. So we have to look at how we're applying equity and who has access to it. So remember, the three biggest issues with any industry or any aspect of our society is distribution, access, and opportunity. Mm -hmm. So we have to make sure that we're um, distributing opportunities fairly and then providing people with the tools and resources they need to be successful in their roles and to grow And then we have to make sure that they have access and opportunity to apply that Mm -hmm. because when they're successful, the organizations are successful. So since we all know that going into it, how do we apply all of this? I guess some of my, my issues that I have is that even we have all of this information in place and you have people that are still comfortable with the status quo. Honestly, we need to start treating our initiatives like any type of product launch. If anyone is invested in a product launch, they want it to do well. Your sales teams, your marketing teams, IT, everybody Mm -hmm. needs to be firing on all cylinders and be aggressive about what they're due. Only in our DNI role, no other department is asked to be patient, to Mm -hmm. tiptoe, take people's uh, feelings into consideration when it comes to applying change. 
I'm not saying that you have to go gangbusters in, but how come people that work in DNI are expected to be gentle and tiptoe around their goals? If you are supposed to have a diverse workforce by this date, time, year, and you haven't, let's take a look at why. Mm-hmm. And if you've had one, two, three, four, five times to get it right and have not, you should no longer be in that role. We need to start getting people out the way mm-hmm. and step aside because when people continue not to succeed in their DNI goals, we are rewarding bad behavior. We need to change the narrative and reprogram and start incentivizing inclusive behavior and supporting their employees and not keep rewarding people that are comfortable with the status quo. And Edie, you always have um, an armamentarium of the most awesome quotable quotes ever. (laughs) And I think one of the favorite uh, expressions that you've used in the past that I really appreciated was, if you don't have an equity strategy, you better have an exit strategy. And I think that really just summarizes everything you just said. Like, we're not going to tiptoe around this, right? And uh, if managers can't step up to the plate and support EDI efforts, then, you know, the future looks grim, correct? Right. And the reason I say that if you don't have an EDI strategy, then you should have an exit strategy is because you're not going to be relevant. Mm-hmm. Your talent is going to go where they feel welcomed and feel supported. Just like when you signed the CEO pledge, mm-hmm. you have no idea how many calls I got from people that said, why did my CEO sign this? Or why is it my company listed? And mm-hmm. I said, we can't force the CEOs to sign this. This is uh, no obligation. This is just something we're trying to do as an industry to strengthen Mm -hmm. it and to be better serve the patient population and our employees that serve the patient population. But what it has turned into is a recruiting tool. Mm -hmm. Companies that are not listed are hearing from their employees, why aren't you listed? And they're looking at the companies that are After they look at that page, the next page they're going to look at are those career pages of the companies that are listed. So you have to decide if you still want to be relevant uh, five to 10 years from now, because remember, the people are going to go to organizations where they can contribute and grow. They are taking the innovation and intellectual capital with them, and the funding and financing is going to follow them. So um, you have provided our listeners with a ton of great advice today. And I'm wondering, what's the best advice you ever received? I would say, because it's been plenty of times as a woman and a woman of color, where I've had to uh, um, challenge the the status quo. Mm -hmm. And I have not backed down. And I realized that I was always told to keep going, because no matter what, they're going to still think and feel the same way about you. Mm -hmm. And the times that I did not stand up for myself, stand up for what was being done to me, and not standing up for people around me, I internalized it. And it ate me up inside to, I can't even tell you about the destructive uh, self, the the self damage that it does when you don't Mm. know your worth. And then what makes it worse is when you do know your worth, but you don't show that. Mm -hmm. So know your worth, stand by it and keep moving and keep going. That's awesome advice. Stop you. I'm so glad you kept going, Edie. Me too. And it's a long (laughs) way to go. I'm not going to stop from here. Uh, I love working with the CEOs that assured me that they are not woke in a moment. 
Mm-hmm. They signed this pledge knowing it could take two to five years. Mm-hmm. They're dedicated. Their teams are dedicated. They're having a town hall discussions. They're making sure that their teams are aligned with the goals of the pledge. And um, I, I'm here to support them with achieving that. If you're looking for new places uh, to recruit and to source, we have relationships with the women of color in pharma, mm-hmm. uh, color biotech, Latinos in bio, American Indian Science and Engineering Society. So with so many different sources that people weren't uh, tapping into either because they weren't aware or they were just too lazy to do so. So mm-hmm. the days of complacency and the days of allowing things to happen on your watch, the days of being quiet on a sideline or in the middle are over. So you have to decide if you're going to be relevant and you have to decide where you stand because right now we're all being held accountable and being measured. Mm-hmm. And if you are not contributing to the success and the growth of the industry and our companies, you need to step aside and let people who are prepared to take on that fight do so. Yep, absolutely. Edie, thank you so much for being such an informative and inspirational guest today. I know our listeners likely learned a ton and uh, maybe hopefully they can implement a few of your suggestions, a few tips that they heard along the way and put these into practice uh, for their own company's EDI efforts. Um, I also want to thank you just for being a warrior for social change and for good. Um, your efforts are definitely laudable and uh, to be commended. So thank you for everything you do. And for those who are listening, if you want to learn more about Edie, you should definitely check her out at massbio.org. Uh, There's lots of great resources there uh, for companies of all types to take advantage of. And for everyone listening today, thank you so much for uh, listening in to How Do You EQ. And remember, if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and uh, listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Adori. And please tune in next time. Thanks so much, people. Peace. Does this sound like a mission you can get behind? Check out our open positions at eqrx.com slash careers.